The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 91 of Some Assembly Required, your podcasting adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 86, Brainchild to the Dark Tower Came. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Sal Bosema, inks by Jim Mooney, letters by Shelley Lufferman, and it comes to us in March of 1971 couple of things real quick before we get started. First off, I do want to apologize. It has been longer than I realized, again, since I've recorded. It turns out you really do lose track of time in quarantine. Obviously, it's not a full quarantine, right? It's these stay-at-home orders, which is fine. But I did not realize how long it had been, and... I apologize. Secondly, uh, and part of what led to it taking me so long, is I will freely admit that this has been the most difficult issue summary I've ever had to write. All of my personal notes were finished within a couple of days of the last episode coming out. And as you'll see, and as we'll talk about in this issue, you'll kind of see some of the places and some of the reasons that made this one a little bit more difficult to write. But I'll tell you what, I, I had some pretty pretty gnarly uh, writer's block going on. So you guys can kind of tell this is not going to be one of my all-time favorite issues that we've ever covered. But without giving too much away before we get into it, it's not a terrible issue. So don't think too poorly on it before we get give it a chance. Taking a look at our cover, it's really not a bad cover. The line work is a little bit simple in places, but that doesn't really bother me. The colors are fantastically, awesomely bold, and there was just so much color. If nothing else, this issue would have definitely stood out on newsstands or on the old school spinner racks in like a drugstore. I am a little disappointed though that they seem to have given away some major plot points with the dialogue on the cover. Certainly four speech bubbles obviously can't give away everything in an issue, but this reminds me a lot of the Star Wars Episode One trailer. For those of you who are about my age, uh, you'll understand what I'm talking about. For those of you who are not in their mid-30s, feel free to look this up on YouTube. But when that trailer came out, they gave away the coolest part of the movie, which was Darth Maul's double-bladed lightsaber, in the trailer. And some of the coolest moments in the movie were just in the trailer. So when you went and saw the movie, you felt like they had, they had tipped their hand a little bit too much. And that's kind of what this cover makes me feel like, is they're just giving just, just a little bit too much away. So diving in, as the Avengers race across the sky, time is running short. With Nighthawk at the controls, the Squadron Supreme's aircraft hurries towards the launch site for Brainchild 1, the solar probe which will soon be responsible for the destruction of Earth and the extermination of humanity. Little do the Avengers know that their every action is being closely monitored by a mysterious figure. So right off the bat, I have to admit that I'm not sure that I would let Nighthawk take control of this aircraft. Now, Nighthawk says he is on board with the Avengers and that he believes them in what they're trying to do, but at the same time, they just beat him unconscious and then kidnapped him. So there's probably some trust issues 
issues still going on there. Early on in the issue, we come across the first cause of my writer's block, which was we had a, I kid you not, three-page recap of the last issue, which is entirely unnecessary. It is a massive, almost... I find unfathomable waste of page space. Again, I mentioned last issue that there were some felt a little stretched out in terms of pacing, and I still feel that way. And I feel like trying to combine this issue with last issue would have ended up with a just incredibly rushed issue. So I'm okay with them being split up like this, but I also don't need a three page recap of the last issue. There were not that much happened that I need that much of a recap. At the launch site, the remaining members of the Squadron Supreme spot the incoming aircraft and wonder what it could possibly be doing at the launch site so close to launch. After landing, the Avengers rush out in an attempt to stop the launch while Nighthawk remains behind to power down the aircraft. Seeing four unknown costumed persons rushing towards them, the Squadron Supreme spring into action, fulfilling their sworn duty to protect the rocket launch. Here we see some social context in that there is some real hardcore cold war fears of sabotage at the rocket launch site right there at a secret launch site there is a communications blackout so that hostile nations can't interfere with the launch it may seem a little excessive for a scientific mission unless you know maybe it's not a scientific mission but in general this is an example of cold war paranoia and i think this is roy thomas and salvo sema trying to convey that right we're only a couple years after the moon landing at this point so the apollo missions are still ongoing we haven't really given up the space race we've beaten the russians to the moon beaten the soviets to the moon i should say but there's still that fear of interference right we're, we still have 20 years of cold war left at this point and the soviets although again we beat them they're still kind of at their peak here so some of this fear and paranoia isn't necessarily unjustified. When Quicksilver attempts to rush past, he is sent reeling in the opposite direction after a collision with Hyperion. Not waiting to see how the rest of the scenario plays out, Dr. Spectrum orders the Wizard to immediately launch Brainchild 1. Although Wizard completes his mission, the rocket is stopped by the incredible powers of Scarlet Witch, who causes the engines to misfire. Just as the Squadron Supreme is poised to take the offensive, Nighthawk intervenes. Why did Quicksilver just run straight into things instead of going around? At his speed, maybe he would have lost a second or two, but really would that have been such a loss? Especially given the fact that by going straight, he fails and accomplishes absolutely nothing. Quicksilver, and I think this is a, I don't want to say characteristic of a speedster, because it's not, but I think Marvel uses this very well when it talks about Quicksilver. Not only is he fast, but he's a hothead. So he tends to rush into things, be on the impulsive side, and he tends to try and take the most direct approach. And that really mirrors his power set in his personality. And I like that a lot, but it also fails to accomplish the mission more often than I think anyone likes to admit. Now, speaking of power sets, this is honestly probably the biggest thing that Scarlet Witch has done in an Avengers issue. She stops an entire rocket from launching. This is a pretty powerful, powerful use of her abilities, and it shows her growing as a hero, and I love that. Now, obviously, this is an example of power creep. 
If you're unfamiliar with that term, power creep is the idea that in order to show development or furthering of a superhero character, they need to face greater and greater and more powerful threats. And therefore, in order to overcome them, their own power set must increase. The real classic example of this is Superman, in that in order for Superman to show character development, his powers have to just go through the roof. Now, I don't believe that that is the only way to show character development, but that is a trap that is easily fallen into by creative teams. You can do character development with a lot more nuance that doesn't require power creep. But unfortunately, power creep is something that happens. And frequently what happens is power creeps up to a certain point and then a character gets depowered or their power is diminished. So basically it becomes a plot device to reset them to a lower power level. And then they slowly start to creep up again. Actually, you know what the worst example of power creep is? And creep is probably not the right word. It's like a power blitz is Dragon Ball Z, right? In the beginning, Goku can't even beat his brother. By the end, Goku is like wiping out anything that blinks at him wrong. So as, as we look here, Nighthawk stays behind with the aircraft to shut it down because it's a Squadron Supreme aircraft and the Avengers come running out. But I have to question why they don't lead with Nighthawk knowing the situation. I get shut down the aircraft, that's fine. But like the world is in jeopardy. I feel like we can let the engine run a little bit longer. Like we can leave the, the aircraft idling, even unattended, if it saves the world. Those seem to be pretty equitable trade-offs to me. Finally, although we've seen it before, I am still a little disappointed that we didn't get to see the Avengers and the Squadron Supreme heavy hitters, specifically Dr. Spectrum, Hyperion, and Wizard, throw down with the Avengers for a little bit. Again, this goes back to we wasted three pages on a summary of last issue when we could have had all new story and art of the Squadron Supreme and the Avengers duking it out, which would have been cool. Oh, the things that might have been. With the situation diffused, Nighthawk and the Avengers take a minute to explain their apocalyptic experience and the encounter in Avengers Mansion. Again, in their discussions, the name of Brainchild comes up, and when the Avengers press the question, Dr. Spectrum fills in the heroes. Although Arnold was born a seemingly normal child, at a young age, he began to show incredible intelligence attributed to the radiation exposure both of his parents received. As he aged and his intellect grew, he began to experiment on himself in order to further increase his brain power. As a side effect, he began to suffer from a severely distended skull, causing others to treat him like a freak. At age nine, he began working for the military designing missiles. Even this did not satisfy him, and he soon moved to an island off the west coast where he could continue his work in peace. The Avengers and the Squadron Supreme decide that a visit to Brainchild's island is in order to question the genius further. So of course, this ultra-smart character has a distended, brain-esque, brain-looking head. It's kinda stereotypical. On top of that, the older Brainchild is seen wearing what is a to as a Howie style medical coat. He could just wear a regular lab coat, but instead he wears one of those coats that, that looks like it buttons kind of up the shoulder and then down the side. Uh, if you're familiar with Dr. Horrible, Dexter's Laboratory, or Dr. Savannah from Shazam, those characters are, are known for it, or the dentist in Little Shop of Horrors. Among medical professionals, it is a, appears to be more worn mostly by dentists for some reason, but it, it's an odd kind of trope I've noticed that E evil scientists, evil doctors wear this style of coat, whereas good scientists tend to wear the standard long white lab coat. It's an odd choice, we'll say, and it just plays into Brainchild's 
stereotypical nature. On top of that, obviously Brainchild is suffering from a persecution complex. Everything is horrible that has happened to him, and it it's the fault of someone else and not his own actions, right? He treats people like dirt and they shun him. Yes, some people are going to shun him no matter what because of the way he looks. But again, a lot of the way he looks is because of the things he's done to himself. So a lot of this is really just in his head. And at this point, remember, this is a 10-year-old child. He has an extreme intellect, but he doesn't necessarily have the emotional maturity to properly address that. And as we'll see, that plays into what is going on here a lot that this character is intellectually superior, but an emotional juvenile. Now back on Earth, Iron Man, Black Panther, and Thor are working ceaselessly in an effort to bring their friends home. Remember, some of the Avengers made it back from Archon's dimension last issue, or two issues ago. No, last issue, excuse me. And others didn't. So the ones that did make it back are trying to find their friends. And I appreciate that we cut back to the other Avengers and that they're busting their butts in order to get their friends back. Not only that, but their lack of success is taking a pretty heavy negative toll on them. Iron Man in particular is taking this very hard. And I like that it reinforces the team feeling that these people care about their teammates and their friends. And it is always a step in the right direction of humanizing these characters. Obviously, superheroes can be somewhat hard to relate to at times because of their enhanced abilities, whereas something like this shows them to be human. On the island named the Dark Tower, Brainchild watches as the heroes make their way towards his home, his plans for world annihilation thwarted. Upon their arrival, the heroes are greeted by a metallic probe extending from Brainchild's complex. Over the probe's speaker, Brainchild fully admits that his rocket was designed to cause the end of the world. The probe then attacks the assembled heroes, but is quickly destroyed by Dr. Spectrum. So the name The Dark Tower comes from a poem by Robert Browning, written in 1852, published in 1852 and it comes from a line in King Lear. It is worth noting that the Stephen King series The Dark Child is also a reference to this poem. As part of this conversation, Goliath makes a reference to Dennis the Menace, which really helps to date this story because, you know, 30 years ago when I was a kid, Dennis the Menace was old then, and it's just gotten older now. I do find it interesting that Brainchild chooses to spell everything out. Not that it's necessarily uncommon for a supervillain to do this, but the timing is off. The timing is different. Usually the villains capture the heroes or they become cornered and then they spill the beans. At this point, Brainchild doesn't really care and is just telling them exactly what he wants to do. It also indicates a certain degree of superiority. Brainchild feels so much above the Avengers and the Squadron Supreme that it doesn't matter if he explains the plan. There's nothing they're going to be able to do about it. It's also a little creepy how matter-of-fact Brainchild is about his plan to destroy all life, including his. And really, that's kind of the key to this plan, is that Brainchild is so fed up with with existence and everything about it, he wants to die. He's suicidal, but he also has a desire for vengeance, so he's going to take the entire human race with him. Following the defeat of the probe, the heroes break up into four teams, with one Avenger and one squadron member on each team, and then attempt to 
penetrate Brainchild's defenses. Quicksilver and Wizard are initially confronted by a storm of rocks, which they subdue using their combined super speed to create a tornado to pull in all the rocks. Having escaped that fate, the speedsters make their way inside, only to be trapped by a super adhesive. Scarlet Witch and Nighthawk enter and encounter a monstrous humanoid who quickly defeats Nighthawk and then causes Scarlet Witch to forget her entire purpose for being there. I will admit this is one of the few times that splitting the team actually seems to work, and I like the fact that they are mixed teams and that the teams almost immediately work well together. There is an almost instantaneous sense of camaraderie between them, and I think it works really well. Vision and Dr. Spectrum don't fare much better when they encounter an oversized amoeba. The creature quickly adapts to the powers of both heroes and they are overcome. All that remains is Hyperion and Goliath, who prepare to face off against Brainchild himself. The pair are unexpectedly attacked by the very objects in the room which Brainchild is controlling with his immense mind. After Hyperion is disabled and Brainchild taunts Goliath with brain bolts through the skull just like an arrow, Goliath uses the materials around him to construct a bow and launches the unconscious Hyperion directly at Brainchild. The sudden impact and defeat start a chain reaction inside of Brainchild, causing him to physically revert to a normal child. With this, the Dark Tower and all his creations disappear as they were only creations of Brainchild's mind. Yeah, so I really like the giant amoeba. It is very 1950s science fiction movie monster. It's very cool. And the fact that it not only divides, but it also adapts to the characters. I also, it's a nice touch, I think. We have yet another joke about Goliath becoming Hawkeye again. This time he makes a gigantic bow and launches his teammate Hyperion, which one is clever, especially because Hyperion is basically indestructible. And two, just really funny. Like the guy's knocked out and he's like, but Goliath goes, ah, you know what? He's not going to, he's not going to mind. He's not going to notice and just uses him as an arrow. I do have to question here why it seems that this single failure puts an end to Brainchild, causes him to degrade back into a normal child. To me, that doesn't seem all that plausible. I get that this character has never felt defeat, but most characters like this, it only seems to stiffen their resolve. They tend to go back to the drawing board and try and figure out what variable they didn't account for, things like that. They don't tend to just crumple in on themselves. Now again, Brainchild is in fact a 10-year-old, so that may have something to do with it, but I still feel like the character should have had some degree of additional fortitude. And really, the reason it, things end like this is because we're at the end of the issue and Brainchild is not a recurring villain. He's really a one-off. So their mission accomplished, the Avengers are suddenly pulled away from the island and returned to their own dimension. Their friends are overjoyed to see them and all but Vision retreat for some relaxation and to regale their teammates with stories of their last adventure. On his way out, Quicksilver asks Vision if everything is all right and Vision admits that he can't help but wonder if they have actually returned to their home dimension or yet another parallel dimension that is all but identical to their own. And if that is the case, how would they ever really know? So damn, Vision gets super meta here at the end. And I think it is nearly a crime that nobody has ever done 
anything with this idea that since this point the avengers have been in a parallel dimension and that somewhere there is an iron man thor and black panther desperately trying to bring their friends back that would be such a cool story you know even if they're talking about 20 or 30 years later how does it affect the marvel universe how does it affect the characters of iron man thor and black panther that they couldn't find their friends they couldn't bring them back or if they come you know they come back to their home dimension and all these things have happened how do they relate to who they were and who they've become and who their friends have become there's a lot of really cool things you could do with that plot device overall so there are some really great moments in this issue and there are some really rough ones the issue as a whole averages out but that's only because the highs are balanced by lows things really start to come undone at the end and the story just kind of wraps up instead of truly feeling like an actual conclusion brain child isn't a great villain and is such an obvious one-off i kind of feel like they chose the title and then found a way to make the story work there's a lot of wasted page space in the issue but at the same time i'm not sure there is much more of anything i would want except for maybe the avengers and the squadron supreme facing off the ending has enough space it just doesn't really do much with that space so yes there are things that could have been done and certainly there is room for improvement in this issue but i don't want to say it is a complete loss there like i said there is some good there are some high points to this issue so again overall this is a pretty average issue Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next episode, we are taking a look at Avengers number 87, Look Homeward, Avengers! Alright, hey! Alright, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.